0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. You know what I didn't hear anybody say eight days ago? Not one single person said this eight days ago. 2020 and 2021 have been kind of boring. Just shake it up a little bit, you know, we need a little bit of adversity. Need a little bit of challenge, need a little bit of struggle. And yet, here we are. Over this last week, we've seen floods and mudslides and road closures and evacuations. It got me thinking about the fact that adversity doesn't build character. Adversity actually reveals it. Which is really good news for me. Because I've been thinking a lot lately about how if you open up the New Testament of the Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17, you see that one day, I'm gonna have to give an account for you. That one day as your pastor, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person today, I'm gonna have to give an account for the way that you lived your life. And at first blush, that seems a little bit daunting because you are a bit of a wingnut, correct? You're a bit of a loose cannon. But over this last week, I've been reminded again, I can't wait to give an account for you. What is it with you? Like somewhere along the line, you figured out that you're not gonna be a person that is known for what you're against, but who you're for. Somewhere along the line, you decided that you're not gonna get the fact that you can't fix everything in the way of the fact that you can always do something. Somewhere along the line, we as a church decided that we were going to be known for who we are for. And I'm so, so incredibly proud of you. And even as I say that, what I realize is that there's people here in person, there's people watching online right now, and I mean, you're facing real adversity, real struggle right now. And I guess I want to implore you, Leah's already mentioned it, but I want to remind you, and we want to help, we do. You can reach out to us anytime. We would love to hear from you, 604-670-3040. If you're struggling emotionally, if you're struggling spiritually, if you're struggling tangibly, if you're struggling physically, if you're struggling with basic disaster relief, we want to hear from you. And either we're gonna help you or we're gonna put you in touch with someone who can. So I just want to take a second before we go any further. In fact, why don't we all stand, let's pray. God, strangely, in weeks like this, I'm reminded of how grateful I am. I'm grateful for food and clothes and shelter and warmth. I'm grateful for family and friends. I'm grateful, grateful for this family, this Southside family. And there's one thing I know about gratitude. Gratitude always propels, fuels generosity. And God, I pray that we would continue to be known as just a generous people. People who follow in your footsteps. People who are for grace and mercy and love and hope. And God, I pray for all of those who are just affected right now, whether that's emotional or whether there's people that really are sitting there going, I don't even know how I move on. God, I pray especially for those who are feeling completely overwhelmed right now. God, what I pray is I pray specifically that you would give them one next step. That in the midst of feeling like I don't even know where to start, that you would give them one next step and give them the assurance that you will give them the strength to take that next step. Father, in the midst of absolute hopelessness, I pray that you would bring hope in the absolute moments of chaos that you would bring peace. And we're thankful that in a world that feels sometimes out of control, that we are completely, totally loved, 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 and seen by a God who is in control. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen. You can have a seat. So years and years ago, there was this guy named Brennan Manning who said this. He said, The single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then walk out the door and deny him with their life. That's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. The single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then walk out the door and deny him with their life. That's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And I've heard that quote before, kind of as a lead-up to a joke. Look, it's funny, you know, in the sense that, man, you know what? That guy's been following Jesus for 30 years, and he's still an idiot. Can you believe it? He's still selfish. He's still unkind. He's still greedy. He's still judgmental. He's still angry. He's still vindictive. That's hilarious. But I find for me that if I move that quote from out there in the hypothetical and I make it personal, it goes from, comedy to tragedy in a quick hurry. See, I know this, that in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I called out to Jesus and he saved me years ago. And when he did, what it meant was he changed my past. Do you understand that? He changed my past. That he forgave the sins of my past. And he changed my eternity. He secured it. A new heaven and a new earth one day where the best will always be yet. To come. But here's what I think is very important for you and me to remember this week, maybe more than any other week, is that Jesus didn't just come to change my past and change my eternity. He actually came to change my life by changing me. He didn't just come to change my past and my eternity. He came to change my life. See, there's this gap between the past that he's forgiven and the eternity that he secured, and it's called the rest of my life. And he wants to change my life by changing me from the inside out. Jesus said it this way. He says, when you follow me more and more and more, you're going to be defined. You're going to be recognized by the way that you love. The Bible says love is patient and kind, doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast. It's not rude, proud, or self-seeking. That love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. That it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Oh. Boy, if my life can be known for that. See, I mentioned that this week because we talk about all the great things that have happened, but I'll tell you again that adversity, adversity, adversity doesn't build character. Adversity reveals it. So we look at all the good things that happen, but we also see people throwing concrete parking stops through the windows at Superstore and punching each other in the head. We also see fistfights breaking out gas pumps. And we also see people walking into grocery stores and hoarding so much stuff that they will be good to go for the next 23 years, while at the same time knowing, at the same time knowing what? That their neighbors need the stuff that they are hoarding. And when I make that hypothetical, like out there, it's kind of funny, but when I make it personal... See, here's the thing. I want to be the kind of person that's defined by my love, that's known by my love, not just in the good times, but in the bad times, maybe especially in the bad times. Like, I want people to recognize in me after they walk through a week like they just walked through with me that, you know, one thing I know about Mike, love defines him. He's patient, he's kind, he's not easily angered, he keeps no record of wrong. He's not rude, proud, or self-seeking at all. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's the goal. And when we live a life like that, the Bible says we're a blessing. I want to have that guy in my foxhole. I want to have that, that young woman, that older woman around me when times are tough, correct? But not only would we be a blessing, but we are blessed. That's the kind of life you want to live. That's the kind of life I want to live. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus defined it this way. He says that's what it's like to live freely and lightly. In John chapter 10, he called it the abundant life. That's the life I want to live. See, here's the thing. I'll repeat it again. Jesus didn't just come to change your past and change your eternity. He came to change your life by changing you from the inside out. And so on one level, it seems like it's kind of beyond my control. Like God does it, right? God changes me, so get after it. God, I'm still a jerk. If you could work on me, that'd be sweet. Well, there's got to be something we can do. Right? Be- be- because I've seen people who follow Jesus, who, s- who go to church for 40 years, and they don't change at all, and I've also seen people who are following Jesus for 40 days, and their life is absolutely, completely changed, right? Where, where their friends and family look at them and go, I don't even know who you are anymore, but it's amazing. See, what I want to suggest to you is that we're studying this book called First Timothy out of the New Testament of the Bible, which is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Timothy. And what I wanna suggest is that when you look carefully in this letter, what you see is that we can create an environment in our life that is conducive to God changing us. That we can posture ourselves in such a way that God begins to work on us and we do change, and friends and family look at us and go, you're not perfect, but I'll tell you something, I want you around in a week like this week. It's interesting too because Paul says you can do that work individually for sure. You can. You can change a lot individually. But to really change, to really become who you were created to be, to be a blessing and to be blessed by being defined by the way that you love, you need to be a part of God's family. The church plays a big role. Let's go back to that Brennan Manning quote. single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their life. That's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. What door are they walking out of? It's not superstore. It's not the gas station. It's not their house. What door? The church. The church. So we're leaning in to this letter. We're leaning into this thing because we want to walk out the door and see ourselves transformed to the degree that the people around us look and go, hey, in a week like the one that we just had, I want self-siders around. And so in First Timothy chapter 5, Paul compares a church that is postured for change to a family, to a good family, So I want to jump in right now. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this, Don't be harsh or impatient with an older man. Talk to him as you would your own father, and to the younger man as your brothers. Reverently honor an older woman as you would your mom. The younger women as sisters. Take care of widows who are destitute. If a widow has family members to take care of her, let them learn that religion begins at their own doorstep, and that they should pay back with gratitude some of what they have received. This pleases God immensely. Anyone who neglects to care for family members in need repudiates the faith. That's worse than refusing to believe in the first place. Paul says you want to posture your church for change, model it after a good family. And I want to just bring out three points that Paul's making in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The first is that we got to listen up. The second is we got to gather in and the third is we got to help out we got we got to listen up We got to gather in and we got to help out You got to listen up Hey, hey, just because that person is older than you doesn't mean that they're wiser But they probably are So you should listen up. I was 22 years old when Corinne and I got married A year and a half after we got married, Tori was born, and we moved into this little basement suite in Langley. And at that time, I was attending Simon Fraser University up in Burnaby to add a B.Ed. onto my B.A. and also working as a waiter at Earls in Abbotsford. Okay, so every day, I would wake up in Langley, drive up to Burnaby. When I got done school for the day, I would drive down the hill from Burnaby, across the Portman Bridge to Abbotsford. I would work my night shift as a waiter, and when my shift was over at midnight, maybe one o'clock, I would drive back home to Langley so that I could do it all again the next day. Now at that time we only had enough money to afford one car and obviously I wanted that one car to be there for Tori and for Corinne. But I still had to get to school and to work. Now while I did not have enough money to buy a decent used car, I did feel like I had enough money to buy a decent used motorcycle. So I saved up a little bit of money and Tori was born in October from about middle of September on I walked into this motorcycle dealership in Langley and there was this used motorcycle there it was a Honda CBR 600. It was real neat and it sat there and I said this is how much money I have I would really like that motorcycle and they said no. And then I would walk in again the next day and I would say this is the motorcycle I would like this is how much money and they said no but I kept coming back over and over and over again, until mid-October, finally they looked at me and said, okay, Dutch guy, just take it. And so they gave it to me. <laughs> and so now I had this CBR600. I didn't know much about motorcycles. What I found out, though, is that it was a used motorbike. On the year that it came out, it was named the Superbike of the Year. It was fast. That's kind of important to the story, because when I first got it, I was super careful. Super careful. You know, just drove the speed limit, if not a little bit slower. By the way, I drove it for like, 27 months straight, because it was the only way I had to get around, so rain, sleet, or snow, that's the way I did it. But the first summer I had it, I started to get kind of confident. Woke up early in the morning, up to SFU, over to Earl's, got off early July, got off of work at about 1 a.m., get onto the Trans-Canada Highway on my way to Langley. There's nobody on it, nobody. And so I start to think to myself, it normally takes me 47 minutes to get home. Now, how fast would I have to go to make that trip in 23 and a half minutes if I normally go 120 kilometers an hour? Well, that's easy. I'd have to go 240 kilometers an hour. So I'm on the Trans-Canada Highway on my CBR600 doing 240 kilometers an hour. No one else on the road. So I drive by the Mount Lehman Road exit, go up the hill by the Auto Mall, and just as I come over the rise, there is somebody hit an animal, and there it is. You say, well, don't you know what animal it was? My, I don't even. I had less than a quarter of a millisecond to even go, look, an animal, and I was through it. The only thing that I can think is maybe a number of cars. I think it might have been a deer, and a number of cars just drove the same line that I took. Not entirely sure that I ever sped on my motorcycle again, but that's not exactly the point. Some of you young men and young women, about young, I'm 30 or younger, you're a little bit like Mike Maness on his way to Langley on his CBR 600. You're doing 240 kilometers an hour, and you're thinking, I'm going to get there in half the time. And every once in a while, an older man or an older woman will step up to you and go, hey, could I, could, could I, could I tell you something for a second? And you look at them and you go, are you kidding me? I'm doing 240 kilometers an hour here, man. I don't have time. And Paul says, don't be harsh. Don't be impatient. Just listen. Just Listen. Just because they're older than you doesn't mean that they're wiser, but they probably are. They've traveled this stretch of road before. So maybe they're gonna pull you aside and go, hey, you're doing 240 kilometers an hour, it's really cool, uh, until you come over that rise at Mount Lehman Road and then it's gonna get not so cool. Can I talk to you about your career? Can I talk to you about your family? Can I talk to you about your marriage? Can I talk to you about your finances? Paul says, when you see an older person and they want to talk to you they might not be wiser than you just because they're older but they probably are so listen up and one more thing really interesting paul says treat older women like your mom i'm going to give you a quote that's going to make you really mad i heard a quote the other day listen to this quote a person said many men in the western world have placed women in two categories only. Many men in the Western world have placed women in two categories only. Category number one, women I would like to sleep with. Category number two, women I ignore. Sounds like a real rocket scientist that came up with that one, but, so that's stupid, right? No, no, but but that's that's the dictionary definition of stupid. So I take half of the population of the world, many of whom are way smarter than me, and I decide you're either an object or worthy of me ignoring you. And Paul's so brilliant here. He says, look at older women and just treat them like you would your mom. So next time you're in the gym and you see somebody way bigger than you working out, or you're at the beach, and you see someone way bigger than you walking around, and they got a tattoo and there's a heart on the tattoo, and what, what, what does it say in the middle of the heart? What does it say? Mom. Mom. Just walk up to him and go, why do you have a tattoo that says mom? Do you like your mom because she's good looking? That would be weird, right? Well, Paul says, you know what else is weird? It is, is to assume that that woman is either worthy of you sleeping with or worthy of being ignored. You know what? She's wise. She's intelligent. She's creative. She's kind. She's amazing. She's incredible. So listen up. Make sense? You wanna, be a, you wanna be a family, you wanna be a person that postures ourselves for change, here's how you do it. Number one, you listen up. Just because that person is older than you doesn't mean they are wiser, but they probably are, so listen up. And number two, gather in. Gather in, we're a family. We're a family. There's some old school churches that they, they, they really get into that whole family thing they they start saying hey good morning good morning brother fred well good morning sister frederica and they get it you know they just call each other brother and sister and i sort of like that on weeks like this week cuz i like to think i like to be reminded that we're a family but we are a family so gather in we are a family here's one thing i know about families is family can get on each other but at the end of it we look after each other do we not like, I look at my six kids, and I know that my older, my older kids can pick on the younger ones, but you better not pick on the younger ones. One thing I know about families is families look after each other. We need to do that, too. So I always find it kind of weird when I hear that there's a church starting up, and, and the church is a youth church. It's for youth only, or it's a young adult church or it's a young married church, or it's a middle-aged, or it's a seniors-only church. Well, you can call it a church if you want, but it's not. You can call it a youth thingy if you want, but, but it's not a church. A church is generational because a church is a family. I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for my younger brothers and sisters in this church. Many of whom I have known since I was a youth pastor, and they were youth leaders, or some of them were senior high youth. And I love them. And we argue sometimes, but I completely love them. I wish them well. I pray for them. I cheer them on. That's what a family does. And I'm really grateful for my older brothers and sisters. They might not be wiser than me just because they're older, but they probably are. Like, I remember about a month after I became lead pastor. In the middle of takedown at Sardis Secondary. If you've never experienced takedown at Sardis Secondary, I'm so sorry. You really missed something. It was crazy. So I'm doing takedown, doing 240 kilometers an hour, trying to take everything down. And this older guy says, Hey, Mike, you got a minute? And I'm thinking, No, dude, I'm no, I'm 240, no, I don't. He says, This will only take a second, and that's kind of the point. And I'm like, What? It's only t- that's weird. So now he got my attention. I say, what's up? He's like, man, I've been watching you, and I really admire the way you live your life. Like, you go hard. You accomplish a lot. You like to check things off of your list. But I feel like God has a message for you, and here it is. He says, God wants you to know you don't need to be guilty. I'm like, I don't need to be what? You don't need to be guilty. Oh, okay. Cool. He says, No, let me explain. In this next season of your life, there's gonna be times when you're not checking anything off a list. God's just gonna call you to be still. And just to be. Just to be with him. Just to hear from him. Just to study, just to learn. And don't be guilty. It's okay. It's God's plan for you. And what I would like to say to you is, ever since that day, I've been the most chill guy that you have ever met in your life and I'm completely laid back. That would not be true. But what would be true is this, I've thought of that conversation hundreds of times, and it's helped me. Why? Because it's family. I had an older brother take a second, and I was not harsh, I wanted to be harsh, I wanted to be impatient, but I wasn't, and I listened. Paul talks about single people, talks about the principle of purity. Right, you gotta be nice to each other in the family got to have each other's back so like let's say you were a a single girl in a church and and someone asked you out on a date and you decided i don't want to go out with that guy on a date that's okay but you know what you don't do you don't make fun of him behind his back because can you believe that wingnut asked me out on a date you don't do that because a family wouldn't do that families look after each other and if you're a single man you would never look at a single woman like an object right you you would never do that because you might notice that she's beautiful, but you also know that she's creative and intelligent and wise and kind and patient and amazing. Oh, one more thing, she's also God's child, which is a pretty big deal. Before you would ever think of objectifying somebody or you could just do what you wanted and see her as a challenge to conquer, you would probably want to remember that she's God's child. I have six kids, four of them are boys. If you hurt one of my boys, you and I would have a problem. If you hurt one of my two daughters, I would end you. (laughs) You say, come on, Mike, you're a pastor. That's not a very nice thing to say. By the way, I got a Edmonton Oilers hat here and a Golden State Warriors hat there. Like this is the greatest day ever. I love you guys so much. (laughs) Go Flames. But that's not, I'm not ADD, Henry. I just, you know, okay. But it's not very nice for me to say that, so I'm going to rephrase it for you. If you were to hurt one of my daughters, I would come to you, and I would present you with a gospel message. And I would tell you, you know what? I would love if today is the day that you begin following Jesus, and then I would help you meet him. So that's how it would work, okay? (laughs) If If you hurt one of my daughters. And here's what I would say, and I'm not trying to be all melodramatic. I would just say to you, that that woman, you need to look a little deeper. She's God's daughter. He really loves her. And she might be beautiful, and that's great. And she's also wise and intelligent and creative, and you need to see her that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if we wanna be in a posture as a church that is conducive to God's change playing out in our lives, number one, we need to listen up. That older person, they might not be wiser than you, but they probably are. Number two, we need to gather in. One thing I know about families, one thing I know about families, we look out for each other, you know? It's one of the reasons that when we moved into this facility, I thought we should start a security team. Security team. And they told me, you can't... One of our best looking security team members is standing right here. They said to me, you can't, you can't put the name security on the t-shirts, and I wanted to put security. I said, you can't do that. Why, why again? That's just some rule, you can't put security. And so they said, let's have a safety team instead. I had a better idea, it would have taken a little bit more room, but here was my idea for the safety team t-shirts, that they would say this, if you pose a threat to the women and children of this church, we will end you team. But we didn't, that (laughs) got overruled, we went with safety team. So you gather in, because families look out for each other and thirdly, you help out, you help out. You help out in your family, and we help out as a family. You help out in your family, and we help out as a family. See, one of the things that you realize when you're a mom or you're a dad is um, you wanna help your kids out. And I, I would say specifically that to really help out your kids, you understand right away, even innately, that you need to be generous and effective. You need to be generous and effective with your kids. So number one, you're generous with them. You understand that when you become a parent, you look at that that little daughter or that little son and immediately you know something. You know, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my needs and some of my wants and some of my desires to look after you. Just comes natural. And you wanna be effective too, right? So if your kids say, I'm feeling a little bit hungry, you don't say, well, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you Pop-Tarts for breakfast today and lunch too. And supper, and then tomorrow, you know what we're going to have? Pop-tarts all day. Now, that would be awesome for a number of days until everybody got really, really sick in your family. That would not be effective. But Paul says you got, you got to help out in your family. Not, not only to your kids, but to your parents, too, when they get older. That's an interesting thought. He says this. Pay back with gratitude some of what you have received. Look after your mom and dad. Got me thinking just over the last day or so. I've told you before that I was 19 years old, middle of the night, middle of January, middle of Red Deer, Alberta. I started following Jesus. And my parents had been after me for months and months and months to attend this school called Trinity Western University. And I was like, no way, no way am I going there. And I met Jesus, and all of a sudden I realized, I want to go there. I want to get out of Red Deer, and I want to go to Trinity. Trinity Western is really expensive. It's a really expensive school, and 19-year-old me, I was not a financial genius. My financial plan kind of went like this: get it, spend it. Now you know that, that that was that was my monetary plan in my life. I had nothing, nothing saved, and I went to my parents and I said, "I want to go to Trinity Western University," and they said, "We'll pay for it." And they weren't wealthy. I went there for a year and then my little sister said, I want to go to Trinity Western University. And they paid for both of us. And the story was told years later, out there 15 minutes outside of Red Deer, Alberta on an acreage. My mom didn't want to turn up the heat because they couldn't afford the heat bills. So she sat there loading wood into the fireplace so that we could go. In other words, this is what you need to do. Just remember what they did for you. And when they get older, you look after them. So we help out in the family. And we help out as a family. And the same rules apply, right? We're for this city. We want to be generous and effective. We want to be generous and effective. We want to be generous and effective. I think that really hit home to me. Years and years ago, all the churches in our city got together and they did this one day, like love on the city day, you know? And they said to me, I was youth pastor. They said, Mike, you're going to take the hot dog station. And you're going to take the hot dog station. I'm like, seriously? Yeah, you're going to take the hot dog station. So they gave me this big thing of hot dogs, and I got a bunch of youth to come with me, and we stood on the street, and we were handing out hot dogs. Well, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It didn't feel very generous to me. Like, I didn't buy those hot dogs. I didn't make those hot dogs. In fact, I don't even really want to eat one of those hot dogs. It didn't feel very generous to me. The thing is, like... Will you really want to help out in your family or help out as a family? You got to be generous. It's got to sting a little bit. Mother Teresa said it this way: She said, "I choose. I choose. I choose to live simply so others can simply live. I choose to live simply so others can simply live." In other words, I make sacrifices. I do without or I delay the things that I want in order to help out other people. As I stood on that street handing out hot dogs, I didn't feel overwhelmingly generous. I didn't. And I also didn't feel super effective. People kept walking up and I'm like, you want a hot dog? And they're like, no. (laughs) Sweet. You know, and then every once in a while someone would be like, okay, and take it. But just like you could tell they didn't care and probably threw it away as soon as they walked around the corner. We get near the end of the day, we've been there for like six hours. Near the end of the day, I say to the, all my, my, my crack hot dog team, all my youth, I'm like, hey, how many hot dogs left?" have? Oh, we got five left. Okay? So I'm like, okay, let's end this with a bang. Let's go, let's, let's stay positive. So this group comes walking towards us and I say, do you guys want a hot dog? And the guy says to me, the, the, the guy in front says, you know what? I actually do. And his eyes lit up. And my eyes lit up because his eyes lit up. I'm like, this is amazing. You got, Yeah, we'd love a hot dog. So I turn around to my crack hot dog team, and guess what my youth had done with the last five hot dogs? They were ingesting them. They ate them. <laughs> I was like, that's it. That's it. That's it. We want to help out. But help, help really means not only are you generous, But you got to be effective, because I think there's a temptation at times, maybe especially in the church, that we do things not because they're really effective, but so that we can say, I did something. Does that make any sense? To where we're just doing stuff for the sake of doing it, and then it becomes more about us, like, look at me, I handed out hot dogs, and nobody cared, but at least I did it. So that's one of the things the staff will tell you when it comes to helping out as a church, everything, everything we do, I will ask them again and again and again and again, I wanna know what's generous and I wanna know what's effective. So over this last week, the numbers are pretty overwhelming, but I said it before, I'm just, I'm just proud of you guys. Like thousands and thousands of food and supplies. 2,000 families that we individually help, 250 volunteers in here helping out. We sent up plane, four plane loads, a helicopter load, and four semi-truck loads to isolated communities. I think that's generous, and I think it's effective. Someone said to me, it's weird because with the flooding and everything, it's like Christmas started like 10 days early this year. Like, what do you mean? I said, well, it's almost like at Southside, when we do that All Is Bright Day, that All Is Bright Day, that's kind of the official beginning of Christmas. All is bright. And I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about that again because it's next Saturday and we already have a a record number of people signed up. But I'm not worried about a record number of people. I want to talk to you. I want you to be generous and effective. So next Saturday, we do All Is Bright. And we gather in and we, we work with our community partners. By the way, the, the same ones that we've been working with throughout the year. So when we work with an organization like Pearl to rescue women from the sex trade, we believe that's generous and effective. When we, work with, when we partner with the Shehaila school to give food to kids that are living below the poverty line, we believe that is generous and we believe that is effective. When when we work with the Pregnancy Care Centre and the Chilliwack Maternity Ward to help moms who are in very, very difficult situations, we believe that is generous and we believe that is effective. When we establish the Sunshine Fund to tangibly come alongside of families dealing with critical illness, we believe that is generous and we believe that is effective. And so All Is Bright next Saturday is just a continuation of that, it's just a focus of that, it's just us coming together as a family and tangibly working on the things that we've been doing behind the scenes all year long. Now this year is gonna be a little bit different because we're also gonna have a flood relief drive through and some cleanup crews and some restoration crews and here's the thing, just sign up. I wanna see, see you being a blessing because I think along the way you're gonna be blessed. I wanna see you being a blessing because I think along the way you're gonna be blessed, I really do. Adversity doesn't build character, but it reveals it. So if you haven't signed up yet for All is Bright, just take a second and you can just text the keyword bright to 604-670-3040, brighti I'm from Red Deer, so that might be the wrong spelling. Okay, so if you spell it B-R-I-T-E, you can be on my team, we'll get along great, okay? But, but no matter how you spell it, my, that's not my point, no matter how you spell it, let's go. Let's go, let's have a party. And at the end of the day, we all gather back here, and we light that Christmas tree, and here we go. But since somebody said to me, it feels like all is bright's been happening for 10 days, and Christmas has started early, I think, I think we need that this year. I do. Because I want to tell you something. I want to tell you where we got this whole idea of generous and effective. It's in a verse out of the Bible that some of you have heard. Not everybody, by the way, but some of you have heard this. It's out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. You know what that is? That's generous. And Jesus gave his life. That's generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know what that is? That's effective. That's effective. So there's this song that Leah wrote a few years ago. And literally, I gotta tell you something. I I asked Leah and Brianna if they would sing this five minutes, no, 15 minutes before church started this morning. I said, Leah, can we do Peace Came Down? She said, no, I said, please. She said, no, we can't. I said, Leah, please. And so they, they did it, and it's incredible. But it's a song that reminds us, especially in this season, but all year round, and especially with the week that we just had, when Jesus stepped into human history, peace came down. Grace came down. Love came down. Forgiveness came down. Salvation came down. And I just thought it'd be a real good song for us to sing today. So why don't you stand? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.